France is done. And who's next? Mm, Madonna has been cancelled. Really? And will we even make it to 2024? Some people don't think so. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show for a Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. We're back. We start a new week. Oh, so much stuff going on today. It's just been insane. What a weekend it was. Talk about insane. All right, before we get started, let's start off with our usual update. That would be our Miko update. Miko's our little Shiba Inu baby, and she is doing fantastic. She had a great day today, a great weekend. We went to the dog park on, was it? I forget. Anyway, we we had a great time, and uh, as always, she's uh, doing great playing with her tennis ball, which is her new favorite thing. She found her tennis balls. She's got like five of them, but somehow they all managed to disappear. So she found one, and now that's her her new favorite thing. And she loves to play, if you take this from me, I will bite your face off. So <laughs> that's what, she, yeah, see, that's, a, that's how she is. You see, doesn't this look like, come on, grab the ball, throw it for me, which, you know, normally that, but no. If you try and grab that ball, she will rip your face off. <laughs> ah, Miko. Anyway, she's doing great. Our Miko update brought to you by BarkBox.com. BarkBox.com is a monthly subscription service you sign up for, and you will get delivered right to your door every month, a box full of goodies for your dog, and he or she will love it. It's got two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew inside. You can specify if your dog has any allergies. They'll make sure you don't get that kind of dog chew and dog treats. And also... Small, medium, and large, because, you know, dog toys for a chihuahua would be a little different than dog toys toys for a bull mastiff. So you can specify. And if you're ever not happy with anything, you just get a hold of their customer service. They'll make it right, because they have a 100% happiness guarantee. If you use our special link, you'll get a free month when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O is the link to go to. It's in our show notes. Check that out and uh, check out BarkBox.com. All right, France, gone for all intents. Unbelievable. I'm sure you've seen the videos. Uh, You may be seeing less of them, and we'll tell you about that. In fact, in the chat, I put a link I didn't get to include in our show notes because it just uh, it just popped on social media. But this from the Daily Wire, riots rock France. 45,000 cops have been deployed. And now we see uh, reports where some citizens are forming their own action committees and taking over and trying to, uh, trying to quell the riots in the streets. Hordes, savage hordes of vermin is what's quoted here. Uh, fifth night in a row on Saturday, this now two days away from that, 45,000 police officers deployed, including 7,000 just in Paris to stop this civil unrest caused mostly by the immigrants to that country. Sadly, thousands of people have been arrested after hundreds of cars and buildings set on fire. 
Countless stores looted, all this following the death of a teenager of African descent. The BBC reported the teen, who'd been in trouble before, was known to the police, fatally shot in the chest point-blank at the wheel of a Mercedes car as he drove off during a police traffic check. Uh, there is video of that incident. It is posted on Twitter if you want to look it up. I did not include a link to that in our show notes. But it shows one officer leaning over the hood of the car. The vehicle starts moving, flung the officer to the side of the car. Oh, actually, in this article, there is a link to the uh, Five Pillars post on Twitter uh, with the uh, with the video in it. But the mayhem that has gone on in France, this is some of the footage of some of the stuff that has been happening there. It's... It's just absolutely unbelievable. The buildings that have burned, the stores that have been looted. Incredible. And the latest we heard was that it has moved on. Here's more here. Oh, by the way, in the north of France, you will find this, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, this is more migrants in the north of France waiting to cross over. And they're coming for you in the UK, so... Get ready. Unbel Look at that. Thousands and thousands of people. Absolutely insane. Wow. Um, it's, yeah. It ain't getting any better, and it's likely to get worse before it gets better. That is for damn sure. Uh, one of the things that Macron is doing is he's looking for platforms to delete riot content. Yeah. And he's blaming social media and video games for the riot spread. This moron. As storm brewing, French President Emmanuel Macron appears to have figured it all out. It's social media and video games that are to blame for the ongoing riots. Uh, his comments, hardly original. Warrant scrutiny from a free speech perspective. You can't help but raise an eyebrow as the president pleads with social media giants to erase the most sensitive content pertaining to the rioting. Well, this is a follow-up. Just added this into our uh, list of articles tonight. Macron is now demanding, not asking. He's now demanding that platforms delete the riot content. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm surprised they don't have him playing a fiddle. That might have been even more appropriate. Ah, this is insane. Absolutely insane. And it's growing by leaps and bounds. It ain't over by a long shot. Here is uh, footage. Again, there's a lot of Twitter links because this is, you know, these days, forget mainstream media. It's pretty much just dead. But this is where a, a lot of your news should be coming from. Now, this is some of the stuff you're not going to see probably if you're in France because he's demanding that social media platforms uh, delete this stuff. But this is some of the rioters and looters showing off their weapons I just mute that as just a bunch of garbage yelling and screaming. Look at this. The guns, the bombs, shotguns, pistols. Oh, 
don't know what that is, but it looks dangerous. So they're all very proud of their weapons there. And this is, uh, this is some of the folks, some of the criminals who've been showing off their, uh, their weapons, and they've been firing them off too. Check this one out. The looting that's going on is insane. This is, this is, I'm telling you, this may be France now, but it's not going to be long before all this is looted, looted stuff, stolen. It's not going to be long before UK, you're, you're likely next. It's already affecting, the latest I just saw an, an hour ago was Switzerland. Now Switzerland has some rioting and looting breaking out. So it, uh, it just keeps going and not much of anything is being done for it. <laughs> Megan Ancy over on Twitter tweeted this out and she wrote, and how true, Oh, shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. You know that one. And there he is with two of his best friends who are probably out now burning something down or shooting people or God knows what. We got more on this? I'm sure we do. I got a ton of links about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to love this one if you haven't seen it already. This will show you exactly the mindset of some of these moronic, left-wing, liberal idiots that are so brainwashed, so incredibly brainwashed. Here is a French woman on her knees begging the police to show mercy to the rioters. Absolutely clueless. Look at this. There's the police. There's this woman. Oh, show mercy on them. They're, they're good boys and girls. They don't mean any harm. Yeah. And here's some of the harm they don't mean. Here's the people this idiot woman is begging the police to show mercy on. Lovely. You want that in your country? Keep your open borders. That's the best way to have it happen. Just keep your open borders and they'll keep flowing in. And then when things go south, they go way south. Unbelievable. If there's more, we'll keep you updated on this. It's kind of happening and unfolding as things happen. You're going to hear less because Macron is trying to suppress as much of the news as he can. He doesn't want people knowing about this. Yeah. Typical. All right. What else we got? I know what we've got. We've got the best small batch coffee from a company that cares more about the United States of America. Coffee for America's Warriors, including the Dan Bongino blend, by the way. You can check that out. Yeah, he really does have his own blend at Blackout Coffee. They were founded 
on the principles of conservative values. The founders believe in the importance of hard work, personal responsibility, family, respect, and traditional American values. The best small batch fresh roasted coffee, it's all done in-house. It's an American company, and they source premium-grade coffee beans, specialty coffees grown at the perfect altitude, correct time of year in the best soil, and harvested at just the right time. They work with local co-ops and farmers that grow this high-quality coffee, and they have a strict adherence to small batch roasting for that coffee. The owner of this company cares about two things, the United States of America and making a damn good cup of coffee. And this is amazing coffee. Uh, Roasted, packed, shipped, lightning speed, usually within 24 to 48 hours from the time you order. That means you get delivered right to your door the beans just days after they've been roasted. The combination of their premium coffee beans, highly controlled roasting process, and immediate shipping gives you an elite coffee experience. Serious, this is amazing coffee. And it's not just that it's incredibly good coffee. This is a company that supports our troops, our first responders, and uh, our American values. And I can't think of a better reason to support that with this company, Blackout Coffee. Use the link in our show notes for a special deal. And a promo code J20 is our promo code, J-A-Y-20. Use that at checkout for 20% off your first order, J20. All right, cool beans, (laughs) literally cool beans, coffee beans, mmm. Oh, that's good stuff. All right. Madonna, who cares? I know. But there's an angle to this story. Normally, I would not cover Madonna. She's a freak. I used to love her music. She went downhill, and it's been hell since then. Madonna's celebration tour apparently canceled after child trafficking allegations. Now... Their allegations, but nevertheless, this is from musictimes.com. Her 12th world tour announced a few days before she was accused of child trafficking in Malawi. Now fans worry this celebration tour might be postponed or even canceled. Uh, out of all of her tours, uh, tours, Madonna's upcoming celebration tour could be the biggest and the grandest for a lot of reasons. 40 cities around the world Decades of uh, discography to be included in the track list. Countless special guests. The upcoming tour is is supposed to be a must-attend event. Uh, Video teaser for her tour, Madonna donned several outfits just to prove how much of a timeless, iconic singer she is. Controversial, yes. The video gives fans a glimpse into what they can expect from the tour. Uh, But (laughs) with the preparations in full swing, the excitement comes to a screeching halt when the news of Madonna being allegedly involved in child trafficking hit the headlines. Allegations. I want to make that really clear. According to reports, the Ethiopian World Federation came forward with its claims that Madonna is running a child trafficking operation in Malawi under the guise of her charity, 
raising Malawi. Yeah. Um, the EWF urged Malawi president uh, Lazarus Chakwara to investigate. They suggested he restrict Madonna and her associates from entering the country. Despite these accusations, recent reports show Madonna's celebration tour appears to be pushing forward. In fact, according to the Austin American Statesman, another date was added to her Austin stop because of overwhelming demand. So, apparently most of Madonna's fans do not believe the EWF's claims, but they're out there. So... We'll see where that goes. Likely nowhere, but it's there. The article is in our show notes tonight. If you want to read it for yourself, find out more about it. Mm, It ain't pretty. All right. New evidence reveals the Biden DOJ. I know, but here we go again. I'll just bring it to you, folks. I put the articles there so you can read them for yourself. Share them with your friends on your social media. The Biden DOJ edited the video footage in order to convict innocent January 6th Trump supporters and oath keepers. And now they got caught. Donna Fiducia and Don Nguyen co-host Cowboy Logic. It's a Real America's Voice Saturday night. The two conservatives have used their platform to assist hundreds of January 6th political prisoners over the last two years. And this weekend, they released evidence that Biden's DOJ edited footage of the January 6th protests in order to convict innocent January 6th protesters and Oath Keeper members. Very serious charge. Donna and Don provided all the evidence on their show. And uh, the segment will air tonight on Cowboy Logic on RAV TV. And they also have a Facebook page. I don't know if you can see it there or not, but the link is in this article if you want to check it out. Don sent the Gateway Pundit, which is where this article comes from. Uh, This synopsis, during the Oath Keeper trials, all three, The issue of guarding Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn was a critical point. The Oath Keepers correctly testified they had encountered Dunn, who was stressed out because he was alone, considerably outnumbered. The protesters made their way through the Capitol. And having noticed Harry Dunn, who was armed with an AR-15, he was alone, stressed. The Oath Keepers tried to calm him down stated they were forming a semicircle around him and faced away from him to prevent the crowd from encroaching on him. That was a truthful statement. According to January 6th defendants Kelly Meggs and other Oath Keepers, Officer Dunn's testimony changed throughout the trial. His final testimony was that he felt threatened by the Oath Keepers. The antithesis of their actual uh, recollection. During the trial, video footage provided by the prosecution was presented as evidence. The footage was from the Stephen Horn footage, Horn's video about two hours in length, and he stands outside the Capitol, then enters and ends once again 
outside. Around the 55-minute mark timestamp, 48 minutes into the video file, Horn enters a small house rotunda where the Oath Keepers are guarding Officer Dunn. The video that was provided at the trial mysteriously stops with a freeze frame a second before Horn approaches the Oath Keepers, before the video uh, videographer approaches the Oath Keepers. It suddenly freezes. The end result, the video footage shows the Oath Keepers guarding Dunn in a semicircle and speaking with protesters to defuse the anger and the hostile actions towards Dunn. Never seen in court. Never seen in court because they edited the footage. Uh, yeah, these are your federal prosecutors from the Department of Justice. Happy about that? You shouldn't be. A lot about what's going on in the federal government you shouldn't be terribly happy about, including the fact that this woke crap going on in the military. Here's a link in our show notes from a Twitter feed. It's uh, I maim, therefore I am. Love these guys. It's in maim zero. I am M-E-M-E zero. If you want to follow them, brilliant place. During the last fiscal year, the Army missed their recruiting goal by 15,000 active duty soldiers. That's a lot. 25% of their target. The shortfall forced the Army to cut its planned active duty end strength from 476,000 to 466,000. Army officials are projecting that active end strength could shrink by as much as 20,000 soldiers by September. The Army is saying that wokeness should not be blamed. And yet, here you go. Xi, Putin, any one of our enemies have to be just laughing in their boots. Because that's the kind of crap you have representing what used to be the greatest military on earth. Now it's little more than just a big-ass old embarrassment. <laughs> oh, love this one. Love this one. What's your favorite 4th of July? You know, tomorrow, of course, tomorrow is the 4th of July. Today, the 3rd. This guy, Toby Rogers, PhD, MPP, whatever that stands for. I know PhD, but I don't know what MPP is. Anyway, he writes... My favorite Independence Day, July 4th, 2020. Gavin Newsom, the moron from California who thinks he's got a shot at being the next president, <clears throat> banned fireworks in California because, basically because he's just insane and a little Hitler. Anyway, Angelinos responded by launching thousands of homemade fireworks across the city from basically the time the sun went down to well after midnight. And it was at that moment 
I knew that we'd be okay. Here is a chopper shot of that night, 4th of July, 2020, after that moron Gavin Newsom banned fireworks. Take a look at that. First of all, what an amazing shot. Can I get that full screen for you? I don't know if I can. Yeah, maybe I can. There you go. Look at that. Look at that. Wow. The entire city lit up like a like the 4th of July. <laughs> that is incredible. And as he wrote, it was at this moment when I knew we'd be okay. Wow. I just let that play for a little bit. That is insane. Hey, uh, somewhere on uh, Twitter, I know none of you are particularly big fans of Alec Jones, and I understand why. I mean, you do you. It's fine. I'm, I used to be a big fan. Now I kind of think he's made a few boo-boos. You know, he goes off the rails. But Alex Jones has been right a lot. So don't just discard him out of hand. One thing I noticed that he did post on uh, Twitter is he and uh, uh, a couple of the other guys that work with him read the actual Declaration of Independence, the entire Declaration of Independence. And it was amazing. I couldn't play it here because it's like six, seven minutes long. It's quite long. Look that up. Look up Alex Jones on, uh, on Twitter. And you don't have to follow him if you don't want to. That's fine. But this was brilliant. It's a reading of the actual... And you know what? I realized I have never actually read the entire Declaration of Independence. I'm going to guess probably you haven't either. Mm, have you? Have you actually read the entire Declaration of Independence? I don't think so. Not many people have. It's brilliant. It really is. It's a history lesson in and of itself. Okay, it's time to get on with our book. We read books on this show, and in the past we've done tons of children's classic literature because we're big advocates of reading. We want you to read. We want you to get your kids to read. And you know, studies have shown that even if you can't get them to actually read the book themselves, reading to your kids is as important, and they get the same kind of benefits of being read to as if as the same as when they read themselves so either way get your kids involved in books that's what this is all about well we've moved away from classic children's literature for a little while and we have moved on to 1984 george orwell's very prophetic book we are absolutely living in those times right now my friends it's scary it's scary how accurate George Orwell was when he wrote 1984. I think we're in the middle of, uh, what is it, chapter 17 now? Yeah. And uh, he's just got himself the book, and he's just opened it up to begin to read a heavy black volume, amateurishly bound, no name or title on the cover. The print looked slightly irregular, pages worn at the edges, fell apart easily as though the book had passed through many, many hands. The inscription on the title page ran, 
The Theory and Practice of Oligarchical Collectivism by Emmanuel Goldstein Winston began reading. Chapter 1. Ignorance is Strength Throughout recorded time, and probably since the end of the Neolithic Age, there have been three kinds of people in the world, the high, the middle, and the low. They've been subdivided in many ways, they've been born countless different names, and their relatives' numbers, as well as their attitude toward one another, have varied from age to age. But the essential structure of society has never been altered. Even after enormous upheavals, seemingly irrevocable changes, the same pattern has always reasserted itself just as a gyroscope will always return to equilibrium. However, far it's pushed one way or the other. The aims of these groups are entirely irreconcilable. Winston stopped reading, chiefly in order to appreciate the fact that he was reading in comfort and safety. He was alone, no telescreen, no ear at the keyhole, no nervous impulse to glance over his shoulder or cover the page with his hand. The sweet summer air played against his cheek. From somewhere far away there floated the faint sounds of children. In the room itself there was no sound except the insect voice of the clock. He settled deeper into the armchair, put his feet up on the fender, it was bliss. It was eternity. Suddenly, as one sometimes does with a book of which one knows that one will ultimately read and reread every word, he opened it at a different place and found himself at chapter three. He went on reading. Chapter three. War is peace. The splitting up of the world into three great superstates was an event which could be, and indeed was, foreseen before the middle of the 20th century. With the absorption of Europe by Russia and of the British Empire by the United States, two of the three existing powers, Eurasia and Oceania, were already effectively in being. The third, East Asia, was emerged as a distinct unit after another decade of confused fighting. The frontiers between the three superstates are in some places arbitrary, and in others they fluctuate according to the fortunes of war, but in general they follow geographical lines. Eurasia comprises the whole of the northern part of the European and Asiatic landmass, from Portugal to the Bering Strait. Oceania comprises the Americas, the Atlantic Islands, including the British Isles, Australasia, and the southern portion of Africa. East Asia, smaller than the others, and with less definite western frontier, comprises China and the other countries to the south of it, the Japanese Islands, and a large but fluctuating portion of Manchuria, Mongolia, and Tibet. In one combination or another, these three superstates are permanently at war, and have been so for the past 
25 years. War, however, is no longer the desperate, annihilating struggle that it was in the early decades of the 20th century. It's a warfare of limited aims, because between combatants who are unable to destroy one another, they have no material cause for fighting and are not divided by any genuine ideological difference. This is not to say that either the conduct of war or the prevailing attitude towards it has become less bloodthirsty or more chivalrous. On the contrary, war hysteria is continuous and universal in all countries. And such acts as raping, looting, the slaughter of children, the reduction of whole populations to slavery, and reprisals against prisoners, which extend even to boiling and burying alive, are looked upon as normal. And when they're committed by one's own side and not by the enemy, meritorious. But in a physical sense, war involves very small numbers of people, mostly highly trained specialists, causes comparatively few casualties. The fighting, when there is any, takes place on the vague frontiers whose whereabouts the average man can only guess at, or round the floating fortresses which guard strategic spots in the sea lanes. In the center of civilization, war means no more than a continuous shortage of consumption goods, and the occasional crash of a rocket bomb, which may cause a few scores of deaths. War has, in fact, changed its character. More exactly, the reasons for war is waged have changed in order of importance. Motives, which were already present to some small extent in the great wars of the early 20th century, have now become dominant and are consciously recognized and acted upon. To understand the nature of war, of the present war, for in spite of the regrouping which occurs every few years, it is always the same war. One must realize in the first place that it is impossible for it to be decisive. None of the three superstates could be definitively conquered even by the other two in combination. There are they're too evenly matched, and their natural defenses too formidable. Eurasia protected by its vast land spaces. Oceania by the width of the Atlantic and Pacific. East Asia by the fecundity and industriousness of its inhabitants. Secondly, there is no longer, in a material sense, anything to fight about. With the establishment of self-contained economies in which production and consumption are geared to one another, the scramble for markets, which was a main cause of previous wars, has come to an end. While the competition for raw materials is no longer a matter of life and death. In any case, each of the three superstates is so vast it can obtain almost all the material it needs within its own boundaries. Insofar as the war has a direct economic purpose, it is a war for labor power. Between the frontiers of the superstates, and not permanently in the possession of any of them, 
there lies a rough quadrilateral with its corners at Tangier, Brazzaville, Darwin, and Hong Kong, containing within it about a fifth of the population of the earth. It is for the possession of these thickly populated regions and of the northern ice cap that the three powers are constantly struggling. In practice, no one power ever controls the whole of the disputed area, portions of it constantly changing hands. It is the chance of seizing this or that fragment by a sudden stroke of treachery that dictates the endless changes of alignment. All of the disputed territories contain valuable minerals. Some of them yield important vegetable products, such as rubber, which in colder climates is necessary to synthesize by comparatively expensive methods. But above all, they contain a bottomless reserve of cheap labor. Whichever power controls equatorial Africa or the countries of the Middle East or southern India or the Indonesian archipelago disposes also of the bodies of scores or hundreds of millions of ill-paid and hard-working coolies. The inhabitants of these areas, reduced more or less openly to the status of slaves, pass continuously from conqueror to conqueror and are expended like so much coal or oil in the race to turn out more armaments, to capture more territory, and so on, indefinitely. It should be noted, the fighting never really moves beyond the edges of the disputed areas. The frontiers of Eurasia flow back and forth between the basin of the Congo and the northern shore of the Mediterranean. The islands of the Indian Ocean and the Pacific are constantly being captured and recaptured by Oceania or by East Asia. In Mongolia, the dividing line between Eurasia and East Asia is never stable. Round the pole, all three powers lay claim to enormous territories, which in fact are largely uninhabited and unexplored. But the balance of power always remains roughly even. Territory that forms the heartland of each superstate always remains inviolate. Moreover, the labor of the exploited peoples around the equator isn't really necessary to the world's economy. They add nothing to the wealth of the world since whatever they produce is used for the purposes of war. The objects of waging war is always to be in a better position in which to wage another war. By their labor, the slave populations allow the tempo of continuous warfare to speed up. But if they did not exist, the structure of world society and the process by which it maintains itself would not be essentially different. The primary aim of modern warfare, and according with the principles of double-think, this aim is simultaneously recognized and not recognized by the direct brains of the inner party, is to use up the products of the machine without raising the general standard of living. Ever since the end of the 19th century, 
The problem of what to do with the surplus of consumption goods has been latent in industrial society. At present, when few human beings even become so, even if no artificial process of destruction had been at work, the world of today is a bare, hungry, dilapidated place compared with the world that existed before 1914, still more so if compared with the imaginary future to which the people of that period looked forward. In the early 20th century, the vision of a future society, unbelievably rich, leisured, orderly, and efficient, a glittering, antiseptic world of glass and steel and snow-white concrete, was part of the consciousness of nearly every literate person. Science, technology developing at a prestigious speed, and it seemed natural to assume they would go on developing. Well, this failed to happen, partly because of the impoverishment caused by a long series of wars and revolutions, partly because science and technical progress depended on the empirical habit of thought, which could not survive in a strictly regimented society. As a whole, the world is more primitive today than it was 50 years ago. Certain backward areas have advanced, various devices always in some way connected with warfare and police espionage have been developed, but experiment, invention, have largely stopped. The ravages of the atomic war of the 1950s have never been fully repaired. Nevertheless, the dangers inherent in the machines are still there. From the moment when the machines first made its appearance, it was clear to all thinking people that the need for human drudgery, and therefore, to a great extent, for human inequity, had disappeared. If the machine were used for deliberately for that end, hunger, overwork, Dirt, illiteracy, and disease could be eliminated within a few generations. And in fact, without being used for any such purpose, but by a sort of automatic process, by producing wealth, which it was sometimes impossible not to distribute. The machine did raise the living standards of the average human, and being very greatly over a period of about 50 years at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th centuries. But it was also clear that an all-around increase in wealth threatened the destruction. Indeed, in some sense, it was the destruction of a hierarchical society. In a world in which everyone worked short hours, had enough to eat, lived in a house with a bathroom, and a refrigerator, and possessed a motor car, or even an aeroplane. The most obvious, and perhaps the most important form of inequity, would already have disappeared. If it once became general, wealth would confer no distinction. It was possible, no doubt, to imagine a society in which wealth, in the sense of personal possessions and luxuries, should be evenly distributed. 
while power remained in the hands of a small privileged caste. But in practice, such a society could not long remain stable. For if leisure and security were enjoyed by all alike, the great mass of human beings who are normally stupefied by poverty would become literate, would learn to think for themselves. And once they'd done this, they would sooner or later realize the privileged minority had no function. They would sweep it away. In the long run, in the long run, a hierarchical society was only possible on the basis of poverty and ignorance. To return to the agricultural past, as some thinkers about the beginning of the 20th century dreamed of doing, was not a practical solution. It conflicted with the technology towards mechanization, which had become quasi-instinctive through almost the whole world. And moreover, any country that remained industrial backwards was helpless in a military sense and bound to be dominated, directly or indirectly, by its more advanced rivals. Nor was it a satisfactory solution to keep the masses in poverty by restricting the output of goods. This happened to a great extent during the final phase of capitalism, roughly between 1920 and 1940. The economy of many countries was allowed to stagnate. Land went out of cultivation. Capital equipment was not added to. Great blocks of the population were prevented from working, and kept half alive by state charity. But this, too, entailed military weakness, and since the privations it inflicted were obviously unnecessary, it made opposition inevitable. The problem was how to keep the wheels of industry turning without increasing the real wealth of the world. Goods must be produced, but... They must not be distributed, and in practice, the only way of achieving this was by continuous warfare. The essential act of war is destruction, not necessarily of human lives, but of the products of human labor. And we're going to cut it off right there we'll pick it up again tomorrow night on the show wow 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 prophetic or what i'm telling you orwell was a genius my friends all right thanks so much for joining hey please don't forget right over here is a follow button just give it a click it's free doesn't cost a dime helps the show out a lot we really do appreciate it thank you so much from the bottom of my heart i will see you all again tomorrow.